All right, everyone, what's good? Welcome back to the Brawn and Brains podcast. We are now on our third episode of the education series, and today we are going to be talking about probably the most overlooked thing in bodybuilding and fitness, which is lifestyle. And the reason why I say that it's very, very overlooked is because, you know, fitness and bodybuilding and hypertrophy is a pretty simple endeavor. I think we probably got that point across in in the last two episodes of the education series. You know, if we we train hard and get strong and eat according to our needs with, you know, something as basic as energy balance, Mm -hmm. we can make a a pretty good amount of progress towards our goal. But with that being said, Ben, I'm sure you'll agree that more often than not, a lot of people come to us saying, yo, I'm I'm doing everything right. I'm training hard. I'm eating well. I'm not making the progress I think I should be. What gives? And the answer to that is lifestyle, because this is where we get into the idea of simplicity versus ease. And though these endeavors might be simple, controlling all those other little variables, which really is just lifestyle, to actually facilitate those is possibly easier said than done. And, you know, meeting these things on a on a consistent basis can can potentially get a little harder. But uh, that's what we're kind of going to delve into today. Yeah. And you know, you're right. You say simplicity versus ease, and it's very simple to say, yeah, you should probably go to bed at this time and wake up this time every single day. Sounds pretty simple. But it's actually this idea of initially, it probably will require quite a bit of effort to sort of rearrange and change your lifestyle. So this is where I know, particularly my own clients, it's to make things easier and to make change easier because remember change isn't necessarily easy it's about changing one thing at a time not trying to change everything at once and that's really key so if you are going to change your lifestyle for the better and to better facilitate results then don't try to change everything at once and i think a great area to always start however is with your sleep if you improve your sleep you pretty much are guaranteed to improve everything else i can just i can literally the effects it has on stress stress management on digestion on energy levels on quality of life on your ability to perform on cognitive function on actual body composition as well it has a massive influence over everything sleep is like this ultimate recovery state you want good sleep and so that is always the first place i would uh, you know look to change with someone um, for certain so let's talk about what we can do, you know, the small lifestyle changes we can make to improve our sleep. Well, I've already kind of touched on the first one, and that is very, very simply to make sure you have consistent sleep and wake times. So we've touched on this in the past when we talked about, you know, the, the benefits of daylight. But the reason for this is because basically, obviously, you have your circadian rhythm. And that is, again, it's that, that, that internal um regulation that your body has so naturally you will want to fall asleep at a certain time and naturally you will wake up at a certain time but you know the first question say to yourself is like if you find that you, straight away that doesn't register with you you don't you seem to wake up different times every day you, do, you naturally feel tired different times then straight away that tells us that you know you, you don't have a good routine in place that you know your circadian rhythm is a bit out, out of whack so to speak so the first thing is, like I say, is, you know, let's start by looking at, you know, making consistent sleep and wake times. So to do that, you might have to be a bit strict with yourself first. You might say, okay, I'm going to, you know, set my sleep time for 11 or 10. Let's go, let's say 10. Um, so you, you probably at the very least about nine want to start to get ready for bed, start to, you know, prime yourself to go to sleep. Uh, that way by, you know, you get to 10, you are ready to go to sleep. Again, at first, that might be a bit difficult because you might not feel tired at first. Uh, you might not want to go to sleep first, but if you start to at least get into that routine, into that rhythm, into that structure, it's going to be a lot easier to you know, try to go to sleep for 10. The next thing is your wake time. So again, this might require, say, an alarm at first. So you get used to waking up at that time uh, and don't hit the snooze button. That's the key thing is just get straight up. Again, that's going to take effort at first. But over time, that will become habit and therefore actually be less effort. But what will start to happen is your body will start to naturally over time fall asleep or start to get tired at this, you know, this sleep time that you set. 
and you'll naturally wake up at this uh, wake time that you set to the point where you probably won't even need an alarm anymore. So that's the very first simple habit. Now, again, to, to really help facilitate that, the next thing I would actually look at is the first thing in the morning. So, you know, you've set this, I've talked about obviously, you know, setting a routine to help you, you know, um, gear up to go to, to sleep at this time you've set. But the first place I look is the morning. So as I said, you know, maybe you have to set that alarm at first. So let's say it was seven. So you set an alarm for seven, you're getting up. How can we help facilitate that becoming our natural wake up time? Well, get exposed to light first thing, get exposed to daylight first thing. Again, that daylight is that, that signal message that tells your, you know, your body to, to start to wake up for the day. And again, it sets that circadian rhythm. Again, like I said before, circadian rhythm very much dictates when you naturally fall asleep, when you naturally wake up. So the very first thing in the morning is get exposed to daylight. That's literally the first place I would start. I don't know if you want to add anything to that first before we sort of talk about other factors for sleep. Yeah, well, uh, I think I think a good way to kind of go go about it almost is kind of a bit of a, a contents of what this will kind of encompass. So I think when when it comes to sleep, which you know, as you as you very rightly mentioned, is probably the 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 first thing we should delve into in terms of lifestyle in general. Is I guess to begin with, we can really kind of look at breaking this down into like sleep hygiene, uh, nutrition, and how that affects sleep and and kind of other things. So I guess a good way, to kind of quickly quickly something worth pointing out is when we talk about sleep hygiene is we're basically talking about kind of all things you know routine and, and stuff surrounding sleep yeah. so things sort of like daylight and you know even things which actually are quite quite literally hygiene related because i think uh, one one point worth bringing up is even like the environment in which you sleep is quite important and i think for for students who are, who are watching this maybe particularly important because yeah. you know you might be you might be uh, staying in some like like more affordable housing and stuff so um, I think, you know, particularly with, with places where students live, things like mold is, is maybe a bit more commonplace and, you know, that can, that can have impacts on, well, all, all across kind of the, all across the board, it can have impacts on your health and stuff, but can have impacts on sleep in terms of kind of immune responses and, and congestion and stuff. That's quite a, a common one, which can, which can kind of impact your sleep. Same thing applies for dust and, you know, people staying in maybe, you know, less, less clean environments, particularly the students out there, you know, I, I've, I've been there. I know. I know. I know what you're up to and what your places look like. So, yeah, make sure make sure your environment is actually good for sleep. Um, you know, these 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 things around sleep hygiene are really kind of the low hanging fruits that you know. Even though, as as you said, Ben, you, you might have to be a bit more kind of disciplined with yourself in in the way that you make these things happen. These are really some very you know potentially easy things to work into your life that will have a massive impact. And when we consider kind of the ratio of effort that it takes versus the reward that you'll get from it these are really the things that you want to be implementing so consistent sleep times is a real low-hanging fruit get get that one sorted out obviously again considering the impact of daylight and hopefully this is really starting to kind of fit together like a bigger like a bigger picture if you if you saw our fitbit on daylight and stuff yeah um and then things like the environment in which you sleep and you know ensuring that it is actually clean you've got you know clean bed sheets your room isn't you know very dusty or you've got, haven't got like mold and stuff and then I guess as an extension of that, uh, also ensuring that, you know, your room is, is sufficiently dark and quiet as well. Uh, again, yeah. another one, maybe more so for students, you know, if you're living in the in the city and stuff can, can definitely be a, a lot of noise about and, uh, you know, maybe maybe the setup for your room, maybe, you know, your landlord has quite crappy blinds and stuff. So, yeah, considering your environment and where you sleep is also very important when it comes to sleep yeah. quality. Yeah. Um, so again, two things to touch on there. So obviously, you know, um, already talked about consistent sleep and wake times, but the idea is that obviously it should be the same time every single night and every single morning, including the weekend. Oh yeah. yeah but the one thing I do want to say, especially when you bring up students is like, okay, we have to be also have to be realistic. Like, you know, if you're going to bed at 10 every single night and waking up at seven every single morning on a weekday, Ideally, you would do that on the weekend, but is that really going to be the case? Probably not. So what I will say is like, yeah, if you want to say go to bed a little bit later on the weekend and wake up a little bit later, that's probably going to be okay. Just don't make it dramatically later. And if you do, accept the fact that what you essentially are doing is setting yourself up for a version of jet lag as you move into the week. So if you've got drastically different sleep and wake times on the weekend versus the week, 
again, you're starting that week with essentially what is jet lag because you, you're getting behind, your body's getting out of whack, your body's getting out of routine. Apply that every single week. And like, you know, your first few days of that yeah. week is it's almost becoming a write-off. Like yeah. you, you just, you've, in terms of like, again, productivity, whether you're a student or you you work, it's the quality of your work is going to go down. In terms of performance, that's going to go down. In terms of cognitive function, that's going to go down. All simply because you went to bed dramatically late on a weekend and woke up dramatically late. Uh, I like to week. I like to quickly interrupt there, and one yeah, thing which I re- think is really important to touch on is when when you said you know doing this every week because I, I think that and important in itself is is important to consider because you know these these are habits and even when we go go back to kind of things like circadian rhythm and kind of the you know the physiological impacts of this stuff also understand that you know the these habits is what your body kind of starts to regulate itself around so even though we are saying these things and you know this will be good for you this will be good for you also understand like you know one late night once in a blue moon ain't gonna send your circadian rhythm out of whack but as ben said you know if you are kind of getting into this habit of like every week those weekdays being you know almost one sleep pattern and then the weekend you know a super late night and then a lie-in you're doing that week on week on week then that can potentially start to actually have a bit more of an impact as a habit and you know you start to regulate yourself a bit more around that that's just one worth touching on because what what we're not saying is you know you can never have another late night again no that's also not the case yeah yeah and that's that's important to understand like yeah so what what we again we, we we you have to be realistic so again you know can you have late nights from time to time sure because we all do that, you know, we all, in fact, to us last night, I had quite a late night, I won't lie. Um, but, um, you know, again, just looking at the weekend, you might want to stay up a little bit later because that's just, you know, it's just what people do, you know? Um, so if you're, again, if you're, say, throughout the week, your bedtime was 10, then on a weekend, it's probably all right if you want to go to sleep as late as 11. That's that's absolutely fine. Like, that sort of difference isn't going to make or break anything. Uh, but the, the main point is, is your sleep and wake time should be pretty goddamn consistent every single day, including the weekend. But as I said, you know, at first it's going to take a bit of discipline, a bit of effort to get into those, into that routine. But over time, that's when you'll naturally start to feel sleepy and when you'll naturally wake up. So over time, it'll become less effort and it'll become, it will become simple. It will become easy. And you'll feel, I promise you, this is, I hear this all the time, I promise you, you'll feel so much better for it. And because you feel much better for it, that's when things like quality of life can start to improve very nicely. But before we start to get down that avenue, um, obviously there's a lot to to cover on sleep first. So you've already started to talk about sleep hygiene. And again, one of those things is, you know, consistently, consistent sleep and wake times. You talked on, on actual hygiene and environment itself. Um, so obviously something as simple as taking a shower before bed, making sure you're clean before bed actually does make a difference. Um, but obviously don't get too caught up in the word hygiene because there's a lot more to sleep hygiene than actual hygiene. Uh, you're talking uh, about environment there. So yeah, your visual and your sound environment matters a lot. So again, if you live in the city, then perhaps investing in a good eye mask and a... Um, uh, and earplugs is probably a good idea uh, again just to help drown out the sound something like you can go on spotify and find something like a white noise sound that helps to drown out background noise as well so that's actually really useful and that's been shown to improve sleep quality um so uh in terms of the eye mask uh, a good brand is mantra so or manta i can't remember if it's mantra or manta, manta. We'll, we'll uh we'll link it below because that is a very good um eye mask it's probably the best i've ever used without a yeah, doubt yeah it was a quite a game changer sadly not sponsored <laughs> yeah sadly not you you could potentially use blackout blinds the only thing i don't like about blackout blinds is that when you wake up in the morning and things are so dark it's not the nicest it can still make you feel a bit sleepy it can mm. and again you're missing out on some of the light in the morning even if it's just shining through your window although that's not i don't count that as light exposure it still helps for waking you up a little bit so blackout blinds, yes, are good, but also have their downfall in that sense as well. So I'd prefer people to go for an eye mask. Now, people will then go, well, if you've got an eye mask on, surely, um, you know, if it's pitch black, you've got an eye mask on, surely, you know, it doesn't matter about the light, you because know, your eyes won't be getting that light. Well, this is going to be probably news to a lot of people, but your skin has light receptors <laughs> as well. So yes, even if you're using good eye masks, which is blocking out the light, uh, that's coming through the window in the morning, for example, your skin will still pick up that and that's what will help to wake you up. 
So again, that's why you've got the benefit of an eye mask because it will help with, you know, keep things dark. But by not using a blackout blind, you'll still get the light onto your skin, which will help to wake you up. Um, so yeah, an eye mask and earplugs are a good option for your both your visual and your sound environment. Um, but again, in terms of sleep hygiene, then we have to look at light exposure, as we've already started to touch on. Mm-hmm. We have to look at uh, your actual meal times around we have to, uh, around your sleep time. We have to look at things like your caffeine intake, your alcohol intake as well. Yeah, I was going to uh, touch on drugs. You want sorry. Yeah, I was, I was going to touch on drugs in a minute. Yeah, Yeah. so there's, there's a few things to cover, um, but we'll start with light because, again, that is a, that is a big one. So you should, as we've touched on in the past, and we'll not go too de- deep into this because we've talked about it um, plenty in a, in a different Fitbit, but yeah. you should be getting plenty of um, daylight throughout the day. Now, obviously, earlier I already touched on the fact that first thing in the morning you should get some late, uh, daylight exposure, but throughout the day you should also get that daylight exposure. Again, because that helps with this um, circadian rhythm, but it also helps with the buildup of melatonin. And melatonin is a primary antioxidant that basically helps you to fall asleep at night. Um, so what happens essentially is when you get this light exposure, again, it sets that circadian rhythm, but it builds up this melatonin. And then when that light exposure goes, or when it gets dark, that's when the melatonin starts to get released. And that's when you start to you know, feel sleepy, fall asleep. Modern day world, that is a bit of a problem because there is now a lot of technology around. There's a lot of blue light or yeah. fake blue light, you could say, from all the technology. So if you're up at night, um, you know, just room lights or watching TV on your phone, that is this light signal that's still telling you to be awake, be up. Your body still thinks it's from, it still thinks it's daytime essentially, because blue light most prevalent around midday. Your body still thinks it's midday. Midday is when yeah. you're most awake. It's when the sharpest. You can kind of already guess how that's going to be a problem for sleep quality. You want to jump in there? So that you yeah, I, I was going to say. Well, one one thing which I, I guess we didn't really touch on quite as much in in the Fitbit, which maybe is worth kind of quickly mentioning now, is is actually how this whole light thing works. Because in the Fitbit, well, obviously, I guess with it being you know much shorter anyway. Uh, we, we kind of just focused on, you know, why why daylight exposure is important, you know, how we can potentially, you know, make use of our habits to, you know, facilitate getting more light in at the right time. But I guess now is maybe actually a good time to kind of mention, like, the origin of these ideas. So basically, obviously, you know, ba- basic physics, yeah, you have, you know, a spectrum of, of, of colors that you can get in light. Earlier in the day and later in the day, you're going to have more, naturally more red light and kind of less intense light. Well. And, huh? infrared as well yeah yeah, yeah. red and near infrared yeah yeah and then around midday you're going to get much more intense light much more blue light so as, as you were saying ben about kind of the whole you know almost like tricking your body into still being awake because the thing says midday that's basically what happens because naturally you know you, you have these different spectrums of light at, at different times of the day and that's how it kind of affects your body body's physiological clock aka the circadian rhythm yeah, uh, yeah, I'll let, I'll let you kind of bounce back into it. And, and like I say, it also stops this release of melatonin as well, which is, again, its primary antioxidant. Now, we will get onto a bit why, although that is definitely problematic, and it 100% is, it's, you know, people will come back with the argument, well, you know, there's plenty of people to, you know, st- don't get in the daylight and stare at the phone all night and still go to sleep at night. There is a different way in which you fall asleep. Um which is actually has a bigger effect on, on you than um, than what your circadian rhythm does and than what the light exposure does. But we'll talk about the light exposure first because you have to understand there are a lot of different benefits to getting light. Um, so as, as, as we've touched on, you know, um, so just getting back to what we were saying, actually. Um, so obviously staring at your phone, looking at you watching tv and the room lights are all giving you this blue light signal which is telling your body to be awake at night so this is where you might have heard of the infamous blue light blocking glasses which um are somewhere here i've got i was going to put them on but i don't know where they are yeah they come on they come on yeah they're they're proper trendy uh very very fashionable You, Um, you you might have seen that you might have seen that before um so Obviously, it's in the name. The, the idea of the blue light blocking glasses is to help block blue light from getting into your eyes. There's so, some, some good research done on them as well, yeah. in terms of kind of so, the whole melatonin thing and everything. So, 
that's really useful to, to use at night. So, but we have to then refer back to what I said earlier, which is the fact that the skin also has light receptors. So yes, blocking the light from getting to your eyes is a good idea. But if you're, you, you know, you're still watching TV, you still got the room light on, that's still, you know, skin's still getting exposed to that. So yes, we can set using the blue light blocking glasses and you want to do that as about a minimum two hours before you plan to go to sleep. But we also, again, like I say, have to realize that that by itself probably isn't enough if you want, you know, really good quality sleep. Um, so what I like to do with my clients is also set a technology turnoff time, which is typically, again, about an hour before uh, they would plan on going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a really good opportunity for you to turn off technology, um, you know, sh- shut down for the night and go read a book or go journal or go planning next day, something like you make use of that time, do stuff that, you know, it's actually, it's probably going to help you wind down in the first place. Um, again, uh, a lot of my clients just like to read the books in those times. It, it's a great opportunity because sometimes people say, well, I don't really have, you know, I don't have the time to read a book anymore. There you go. You, you've just created an hour in which you now can go read a book. You're starting to wind down. You're not getting exposed to this blue light and you, you know, sleep quality is going to improve because of that. So, yeah, get exposed to light throughout the day. Use blue light blocking glasses at night, and then at least an hour before bed, probably turn off all technology, um, and then you're not getting any of that blue light exposure at all. And then, like I say, that is going to help with you to wind down and actually fall asleep and have this melatonin release. Now, referring back to what I said before about how technically you can still fall asleep, well, obviously you do still fall asleep, even if you have all these bad habits in place, it's because obviously circadian rhythm helps you to fall asleep but you also have this thing called sleep pressure. And so what sleep pressure is, and that's, again, that's a more dominant form of, uh, what's the word, a more just a more dominant way to fall asleep, essentially. Like, again, you can be exposed to all the blood you want, but sleep pressure will make you fall asleep eventually. And what that is, is basically, it's just this buildup of energy that you can essentially just think about as, you know, it's buildup of energy, which you need to recover from. It's mm-hmm. pretty much as simple as that. I'm trying to think which video we slightly covered this in. Um, well, it might be in the fundamentals of nutrition where we we talked about like the likes of magnesium helps with this adenosine buildup. Because I think I think the, it, I think that might have actually been one of the stress management ones that we yeah, did. In the stress management, we talked about the magnesium con clearance. We didn't talk about it with the adenosine buildup. I think it might be in the fundamentals of nutrition. Okay. But again, so basically what happens is and again, this is going to segue really nicely, so bear with me. Um, what happens is essentially you obviously expend energy, which is in the form of ATP or adenosine triphosphate. And by doing that, you get this buildup of adenosine. When you get this buildup of adenosine over, over, over the day, that creates a sleep pressure, which makes you fall asleep. Again, side note, magnesium is what you call a cofactor, so it helps your body to build up that adenosine. But this is where we can segue nicely onto the next factor of sleep hygiene, which is things like caffeine. So caffeine, essentially the way caffeine works is it stops this buildup of adenosine. So if you, uh, if again, if you, if you are blocking this uh, buildup of adenosine, you're stopping the sleep pressure. And therefore, again, that's going to stop uh, your ability to fall asleep as well. Um, and it's going to affect sleep quality so caffeine takes about six to eight hours to clear out of your system completely so the next sort of good habit or sleep hygiene habit we could put into place is looking at whatever time so whatever time you've planned to go to sleep again because you've, you've probably set a time now which you want to go to sleep at every single night take off about six to eight hours before that and that's when you want to cough your caffeine um anything you want to add to that again before we sort of I, I got I got I got slightly distracted um, because of the the sirens. So I apologise if anyone heard a siren on there. I, I, I didn't hear it. Do fair. Oh, did you not? Oh, brilliant! No. I, I quickly like muted my mic because I thought, oh no, um, yeah, struggles of living in the city centre. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you mentioned the the, the half life. Um, yeah, I literally just said it. About six to eight hours. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I know. I know you said to cut it out uh, around that time. I didn't. I, I couldn't remember if you mentioned the half life or not. So yeah, uh, I think that covers caffeine nicely. Uh, and I think, uh, kind of on that note of kind of drugs, I think that probably segues nicely into talk about kind of other things okay. that can have an impact on, on your sleep quality and stuff. And I think that then kind of leads 
quite nicely into then kind of evening routine, maybe to kind of finish off sleep hygiene and kind mm. of looking at kind of generally, I guess, when also looking at these drugs, kind of uh, kind of leaning more sympathetic and kind of the impacts of that and kind of that idea of winding down in the evening and, and evening routine and stuff like that. So I guess to follow up from that nicely, obviously caffeine is just one of the, the many kind of drugs which can have a, an impact on your sleep, obviously. Other common ones include alcohol and cannabis, um, both both very common, I guess. Well, obviously, a lot of bodybuilders are known for, for smoking cannabis, and obviously, a lot of students drink quite regularly. So I think those are probably the, the main ones to kind of touch on when it comes to kind of impact on sleep. Um, alcohol, obviously, is known to, to kind of have a you know poor impact on, on sleep quality. And okay. again, that's not to say you can't drink, but understand that the more of that you do, the worse impact you're having on your sleep uh, and you know on, on that note you probably could have a way with you know having a, a, a tiny bit of alcohol each night um, but again it's that idea of you know especially if you overdo it expect that to, to have some sort of ramification on your sleep yeah um, and then same same kind of deal with, with with weed and even though it may make you you know tired uh, uh, I guess I guess that, that I guess we can even kind of drag kind of sedatives into this in general okay. and and sleep pills and stuff because I, I, I think even though that maybe is one to kind of touch on in like sleep supplementation and, and stuff uh, maybe that's kind of a good one to drag in here anyway and even though some substances may make you feel tired and sleepy that doesn't necessarily mean that they're causing you to fall asleep or having a good effect on your sleep quality because understand yep. that in terms of kind of you know biochemistry and the pathways in your body that you know facilitate sleep that this is where we get into the idea of kind of nutrition and potentially supplementation to aid with with better sleep because we're you know we're feeding these pathways with with what they need things like cannabis or things like sedatives and sleeping pills although they may make you feel sleepy in the way that they act on your body they are not actually supporting these pathways and therefore aren't actually necessarily going to give you a better quality sleep um there, there could be a, a tiny bit of argument to say if something like you know potentially like like weed relaxes you and kind of helps maybe put you in more of a parasympathetic state and, and stuff then could that potentially kind of overwrite the the idea of not quite as deep sleep and stuff possibly because i mean i'll i'll happily admit that i sleep much much better after a doobie <laughs> um but uh, it, it is kind of also known that, you know, uh, well, I, I guess with that being said, again, it's the idea of kind of habits and the idea of, you know, once once in a, in a blue moon versus, I guess, if you're kind of a, a chronic stoner, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a bit of a different story when it comes to sleep quality. So, yeah, just worth bearing in mind the ideas of, of sleep pathways and how we can actually, you know, improve sleep quality versus stuff that we take, which, you know, in terms of alcohol and caffeine is just pretty much a straight no-no, but maybe kind of those more gray areas where you may kind of think like, oh, sleep, sleeping pills, sleep, yeah. And oh, weed makes me tired, cool, sleep isn't yeah. isn't necessarily that that simple. Yeah. And you know, there's a huge difference between your ability to fall asleep and actual sleep quality as well. Now your ability to fall asleep is really, really important, but sleep quality essentially, realistically what sleep quality refers to is your ability to move through the different cycles of sleep. Mm-hmm. All those things you touched on there actually inhibit. So weed inhibits your ability to move into deep sleep. Alcohol inhibits your ability to move into deep sleep. Of course, enough alcohol. The annoying thing about alcohol um, is that essentially, yes, you could have some, but the, the point in which you can start to cause issues is the pretty much the point where you start to feel it. That's kind of the annoying thing. It's like, so unless you like, and you know, it's sometimes it's nice to have a nice cold beer on a hot day. So sometimes the taste in that sense is quite nice. Yeah. But unless you really like to, unless you really like the taste of alcohol, which again, to be fair, some people do, like in a nice glass of wine, then is there really a point in drinking just a little bit if you're not going to get even just a little bit of a feel, like a buzz off it? Like, like, like is the, is there is there a point unless you really do like the taste? So again, the main point there is that yes alcohol you could have some but if you start to feel it that's when you know you've had too much essentially and that that is the almost the annoying thing because again like most people probably do drink it to feel something um again like you said uh weed yes it might make you feel tired and sleepy 
but it's not going to move you through these deeper stages of sleep. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that's really, really critical to understand. Yes, like I said, that maybe as an argument for it helping you to calm down, but I would say that isn't enough because again, if you're not moving through these deeper stages of sleep, then you're automatically going to be in a much higher sympathetic state the following day anyway. So over the long term, it's going to be a lot worse. Um, so yeah, sleep quality essentially refers to moving through these uh, these different stages of sleep, and that's really really important. Um, another one is I see this all the time. Um, people like sort of share it as sort of a meme, but like basically people waking up to have a drink throughout the night. If you're waking up to have a drink throughout the night, that's not good sleep quality. That is a sign right there that you know, again something is going wrong. Yeah. You probably want to look at your hydration status for that in the first place so maybe you know making sure again because most people don't have enough electrolytes but probably where you need to look for that if that is you if you're waking up in the middle of the night again you probably are dehydrated even if you drink a lot of water you're probably not getting enough electrolytes and that's what's causing that to happen but the main point is if you're waking up to go pee if you're waking up to uh, get a drink in the middle of the night that is diminishing sleep quality that is not good for sleep quality you don't want that to happen um okay so and then in terms of like food in terms of uh, staying on sleep hygiene again if you're going to bed with a full stomach and you're still trying to digest your food that is not good for sleep quality because it's going to impede this ability to move through the sleep stages so again pretty simple rule for your last meal have it as a minimum about two hours before you go to bed obviously it depends on the size of the meal but as a general rule about two hours two hours before you go to bed is probably a good idea so you can start to see how there's different, different, I guess you could say targets you could set yourself or different rules uh, as you move throughout the day to really set yourself for good sleep. So first one is, you know, have this consistent wake time and then get exposed to day, day uh, to daylight in the morning. The next one is just get plenty of daylight exposure throughout the day. Um, again, just find the time where you can to do that, maybe on your lunch break. The next one is going to be, you know, looking to cut out caffeine about six to eight hours before you sleep. The next one would be, uh, again, once it starts to get dark and about two hours before you go to sleep, um, maybe wear blue light blocking glasses. The next one would be um, if you are going to drink some alcohol, limit it to, you know, maybe just one glass. Uh, and then the final one, obviously, is about an hour before you go and plan to go to sleep turn off um, your technology and go read a book instead or go journal or whatever and then make sure that you you know that sleep time is consistent with every other day of the week pretty much do that routine throughout the day and you're pretty much guaranteed for good sleep quality because you've got very good sleep hygiene um but again that whole sleep hygiene thing is only really truly looking at mostly the circadian rhythm side of things we also then do have to look at the sleep pressure side of things again that's where a bit more nutrition can come into it. That's where exercise can come into it. And again, as I said, realistically, that is probably the more dominant way in which you do eventually fall asleep. Um, well, again, we're not talking too much about an exercise, but basically just make sure you do have some form of daily activity yeah. because that expends the energy. And then if we start to look at nutrition, that's when we can look at how nutrition affects sleep from a biochemical perspective, but also just from a, a more of a, a, I guess, a physiological perspective as well. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to think where I want to start with this. Oh, no, no, I, no. I think I, I, I've got kind of the, the perfect place to start. Um, Go for it. I think, I think it's kind of a, a final kind of little point. A, a couple of things which, which I forgot to mention in regards to sleep hygiene is also a body temperature. I think a good one to quickly throw in there. Uh, and the yeah. idea that people, people tend to sleep a little better with, with slightly cooler body temperatures. Um, yeah. Obviously, if you're freezing, good luck getting to sleep. But um, yeah. Um, Again, going back to kind of the environment side of things, also ensuring that your room is, again, potentially cooler. And I guess, again, kind of on the student side of things, um, one which I know a lot of people do is just get little fans for their for their room because, again, kind of more affordable housing. Often kind of you always hear people complain their room's like an oven and stuff. And yeah. then another one which can sort of help with that is kind of a, a, a going back to what Ben was saying about kind of how you can structure your day and stuff is obviously, you know, then get your fans on in your room closer to sleep time and then also nice warm shower before you go to sleep because then that's kind of going to exacerbate the the feeling of your body temperature dropping as, as you kind of warm up in the shower and then get out when it's uh, and you get cooler um so those those are a couple of things that quickly can tie up uh, kind of sleep hygiene side of things and i think kind of even 
before we sort of get into into nutrition I think a, a good one to to bring up is again kind of on the whole structuring your day thing and what you're saying kind of about kind of winding down in the evening is kind of the whole uh, autonomic nervous system side of things and parasympathetic versus sympathetic state and uh, I, I guess that actually probably leads on uh, a little more nicely perhaps into kind of mentioning the idea of obviously stress management on your sleep and you know ensuring that you are kind of leaning a bit more parasympathetic but obviously if you're watching this then this is coming out two days after our first Fitbit on stress management anyway so uh, yeah. enjoy enjoy the Fitbit so that's just kind of a, a bit of like a reference point in terms of obviously you know, stress, stress management is important on your sleep. Um, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that, that we need to touch on kind of sleep pressure too much. You're, you're completely right. I think that the basics of that is understanding that it's sort of like an energy demand that, that needs to be recovered from. So kind of take that as you will in terms of ensuring that you are active and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think that maybe segues a, a little more nicely into, into nutrition and kind of uh, linking off of what you said about kind of eating before you go to bed and stuff and you know ensuring that you are able to kind of digest before you go to sleep uh, is maybe a good one is uh, looking perhaps at kind of carbohydrate intake and and, and stuff like that because uh, I guess a, a good one to kind of immediately go into is kind of blood glucose and the, the impacts on on sleep that that can have um, so I guess as well as you know the idea of you know we shouldn't really eat too close to bed anyway Perhaps it's also worth kind of looking at, you know, nutrition considerations in terms of kind of carbs and and impacts on on blood glucose and how you can maybe kind of structure your nutrition later on the day. I know kind of Ben, you've mentioned stuff kind of about fructose before and uh, and stuff like that. So perhaps you kind of want to dig into kind of the carbohydrate side of things and and all that and how that can kind of impact our sleep. Yeah. So interestingly. Um... I was trying to decide if I should save this for maybe maybe the advanced nutrition section or maybe now, but maybe maybe like give us give us enough to take away and apply now, and then maybe we can dig into it nice and juicy in the advanced nutrition. So yes, I think carbohydrates can certainly have their place on uh, uh, you know towards the night in uh, multiple different ways. One, like you said, is you know looking at fructose. One looking at, like you say, how it helps with, you know, release of serotonin, which can be converted into melatonin, which again, melatonin is that antioxidant mm -hmm. that helps you to fall asleep. But this is where we could maybe also look uh, and start to delve into things like chrononutrition, which essentially is a nutrition around your circadian rhythm, because there's been some pretty good research as of late showing how actually, again, eating later at night can actually disrupt, potentially disrupt sleep quality, because again, your body's not prime for food anymore it's not against the blood sugar management it's not ideal um you have a lesser ability to actually tolerate those carbohydrates now do not conflict that with saying pony carbs after six do not know no, <laughs> but if we get into the real nuances of things like chrononutrition this is where actually we could maybe make the argument for our last meal should be way before two hours um and how actually it could potentially be bad for sleep quality because again your body doesn't want the food at that time based on the light signals that are coming in is that getting into it a bit too much do most people need to worry about that again probably not uh, I'd, I'd imagine the impact is quite marginal but there is some pretty good uh, research that's coming out um on on chronic nutrition so is it it's fascinating actually it yeah, is yeah and that, that'll be a good one to delve into in the some, some of that research has actually shown marginal differences again marginal being the key word in body composition uh based on chronic nutrition ah. um so but again the, the reason why i said the keyword is marginal is because most people just don't need to worry about that if you know if you're hungry at night if you like to eat at night then just eat at night for god's sakes like that sort of thing anyway uh Again, that's why I didn't want to get too much into that because it, it probably is left the advanced nutrition side of things. But so as I said, you know, having some carbs at night is a good thing because it helps uh, with the serotonin release, which then can be converted into melatonin. That's really good. But the other thing is making sure to include at least one serving of fruit. The reason being is because fruit obviously contains fructose. Uh, fructose helps to feed your liver glycogen or your, 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 your liver glycogen. Um, and what that essentially means is as long as you've got enough liver, uh, enough liver glycogen, that can help to maintain a stable blood sugar throughout the night. 
now that's obviously something you want because if your blood sugar drops throughout the night again that's um your body will kind of go into almost like panic mode so to speak because having a stable blood sugar is actually incredibly important for survival uh, so your body will essentially go into panic mode that's going to wake you up that's going to affect sleep quality um and again it's going to impede this ability to move through the deep uh through the sleep uh, different stages of sleep so something as simple as putting a piece of fruit in with your final meal or just at night to make sure that liver glycogen is topped up is a really really simple trick that you can do to help with sleep quality good stuff good stuff uh, and I think perhaps kind of the other main thing to look into with, with nutrition in regards to sleep is uh, kind of on that note of fruit is, uh, again, kind of going back to the idea of kind of sleep pathways and uh, I guess kind of coming back to, you know, what we always say anyway, like eat your damn fruit, uh, is the idea that, you know, micronutrition is, uh, you know, very, very important when it when it comes to to kind of sleep and stuff. Again, looking at kind of the sleep pathways and so yeah, make sure that you're getting you know enough micronutrients in and you know covering your, your vitamins and, and minerals and stuff like that, uh, which I guess yeah. is maybe uh, are we are we going to talk about uh, about sleep supplementation? Um, I don't think there's need to. It's not really lifestyle. That's the supplementation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that covers kind of most of the the, the sleep stuff quite nicely because I, I know we're we're getting quite a into yeah, things a, to, to say the quite least. A bit, bit of time for sleep, to be fair, but um, yeah, but, okay. Sleep is the most important. Like I said, the start that's going to affect everything else. So yeah, that is a priority to her. That is definitely uh, yeah, where you sure. where big focus should be. Yeah. So I, I think well that yeah, as you said, you know, sleep's the one to get out of the way because you know people people maybe won't consider directly how how sleep can have an impact on your body composition and goals. And then as we kind of touched on in the daylight fit bit, the idea of well, you know, even if the the impacts directly aren't aren't kind of that insane then you know consider how you know lack of sleep can potentially make you more hungry and how that can have an impact on your nutrition think of the impacts on performance so yeah sleep is 100 something which will impact everything else and which you would do yep. very well to get down i think really is is just a really good low-hanging fruit that, that people can take in terms of lifestyle and actually progressing towards their goals i think a, a good one to kind of again just kind of draw reference to next is the idea of stress management in your life uh, obviously we ended up doing like a three-part series of this which will be released as yeah. fitbits um but kind of coming off the back of sleep where we kind of mentioned that you know stress management is important in regards to sleep is you know just in terms of lifestyle in general stress management is really key and something which people would do well to kind of you know take into account and manage as best they can but we already have have covered that so we'll let you kind of check that out in in your own time as you please so i guess maybe uh the the main thing now to cover in, in kind of the last uh, little portion of this is maybe a uh, digestion i think in terms of fundamentals of lifestyle that's a uh, maybe the way to go so kind of looking back to our fundamentals of nutrition video we obviously raise the point that you know we we're, we're not simply what we eat, but uh, of course what we eat, digest, absorb, and don't excrete. And that comes mm -hmm. to the whole idea of digestion and actually being able to absorb and utilize the food that we put into ourselves. And of course, food is kind of important, so being able to utilize that food equally. So, yeah. yeah so um, <laughs> di digestion, something that is quite overlooked, because you know, again, people people get caught up on the on the on the basics of, of nutrition and you know again you know that that's that's good that's you know the, the low-hanging fruit 100% what needs to be ticked off first but again to ensure that we're actually ticking all those little boxes to you know again make this whole hypertrophy and progressing thing much more simple is uh, you know potentially then getting a little more granular to ensure those little one percent like digestion and stuff add up so that we are making the progress that we want so uh, I think one of the very kind of bad contributors to digestion uh, right off the bat is just kind of rushing eating and i think this is a for, for a few for a few reasons number one is kind of the lack of mindfulness and the impact that that can have on your digestion and kind of the signaling to get everything kind of working especially kind of further downstream and then also uh, when it comes to kind of rushing eating is then also inevitably that kind of comes along with kind of lack of chewing and therefore the the impact that that can have so we're now looking at this from a couple of different avenues just kind of on the on the whole rushing eating type thing yeah. um and i guess quickly actually before i let you kind of take over ben because i'm already rambling on a bit now but again as an, a, another little throwback to the nutrition video 
the reason why we want to cover digestion in lifestyle is because again kind of the whole rushing eating thing and digestion as a whole links very nicely into stress management and sympathetic versus parasympathetic state and all these yep. other kind of little lifestyle things whereas the nutrition side of things on digestion we're more so just looking at things like you know you know certain food sources may cause like some gi stress and stuff like that but i think yep. there's probably more to say on digestion in the lifestyle side of things than the actual nutrition side of things yeah. So yes, as you said, you, you don't want to rush your food. You want to make sure you chew your food a minimum of 20 times or more. It depends on the food as well, though. That's that's food yeah. dependent. Yeah, obviously. A, a piece, a piece of steak would, would, versus your cornflakes is, is uh, slightly different. <laughs> yeah. This is why I was going to say all the real market is just when your food is a semi-liquid in your mouth. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you, you want to chew your food. That's the one of the first things you need to take off is make sure you don't rush your food, chew your food. Be in the moment, be present, probably don't be distracted. You know, again, you know, what I would say is probably don't be on your phone, don't watch TV, just focus on your food, eat your food. But then people think, oh, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. Again, we have to be realistic. So I'm not saying you have to do that forever. But what I'm saying is practice the mindfulness, practice tuning food, practice being, being present. present. Yeah. Then, you know, once you've got that nailed down, then you can you know, go back to, you know, watching something whilst doing it. But again, just make sure you don't slip into that mindless state of just you know e e eating and watching um because that will have negative impacts on your digestion so as you already touched on stress is pretty key so again you have these two different states sympathetic versus parasympathetic sympathetic is fight or flight parasympathetic is rest and digest obviously you want to be in a parasympathetic state now that's obviously key for digestion but this is something now where we have to explore further to help people realize something so you know if you eat a certain food and you have poor digestion you're going to think well that food doesn't agree with me i should probably cut that food out but actually what can very much mimic those same symptoms so bloating or diarrhea or um whatever is eating in a stress state it can mimic those symptoms like a, yeah. in an identical way. So if you think there are foods causing a problem, first, I would say, make sure that you, you know, you, if you're going to do say like an, um, an elimination, elimination diet to find out what food potentially are causing a problem, you have to make sure you're doing it in a stress-free state. Otherwise, again, the stress is just going to mimic those same symptoms. So it might be a case of actually, you know, no food is a problem. It might just be the case of that you are eating in a stressed state. So that's, again, really key to understand um, because, you know, realistically, you don't want to cut out any foods. Like, you know, if you cut out foods, that's when you could potentially start to miss some micronutrients or you could just, you know, might just be a food that you like and you don't really want to cut out. And it turns out, again, you didn't need to. It was just because you were eating in a stress state. So I think that's important to realize for that reason. So next, this is my favorite thing to do. Whenever I've given, like, like I say, a seminar in the past, this is my absolute favorite activity to do. So... I'm going to do this with the viewers at home and I'm going to do this with you, Kev. Okay. I, now I don't want you to answer this because you might know the answer, but because, and I don't want to reveal the answer until I've done this process, but in the comments and Kev, just think about this. Where does digestion actually start? Pause the video right in the comments. Okay. <laughs> so Kev and at home, I want, so people at home as well watching, um, but Kev, tell me, what is your absolute favorite food in the world? <laughs> I see where you're going with this. Um, pro pro probably a burger. Probably a burger. Burger. Describe this burger to me. Oh, no, stop. No, no, no. I know, I know describe, what you're doing. <laughs> know describe what you're this doing. burger to me. <laughs> oh, no. And I, know exactly, I know exactly what you're doing. So, so it's... Uh, it's uh, the, the the buns are, are, are lightly toasted, ni nice and crisp, so that they don't get soggy. Uh, it's you know cooked kind of medium rare, I guess. Uh, so it's like very nice and juicy. Mm. You know, if, when you when you squeeze down those those lightly toasted buns, just juice oozes out of the burger, but again doesn't soak the buns because they're lightly toasted. Uh, we've got some uh, mayonnaise mixed with sriracha type sauce on the burger, Ooh, so like typical good. burger sauce. Some nice crispy fresh salad on the burger with some sweet caramelized onions. Uh, I think that's as good as I'm going to get without kind of preparing a, a description of my burger. 
So people at home, I hope you've, you've, you know, you thought of your favorite food in the world. You, you know, you're picturing yourself, you know, why, what, Kevin, why, why, why are you eating this food? Where, where are you right now? Why are you, why are you eating this food? Oh, probably, probably. Are you uh, in New York? Are you in New York? You're having this burger or something? I was, I was just about to say, probably some, some like old school American diner. <laughs> so what's happening in your mouth right now? Watering. Salivating. Yeah. Is that happening to you at home right now? Are you salivating? You haven't even got the food in front of you. It's in your mind, and yet you are now preparing for digestion. You are salivating. Digestion begins in the brain. Yeah. Which Not is, in the mouth. Very, yeah, very brain. important to note. And uh, I'd quickly like to actually quickly interrupt there. Also, let that be a, a lesson to the people who like uh, chicken and rice, because, you know, just, just therefore think, you know, if you're actually including, you know, enjoyable foods and, you know, not being quite so restrictive with your meal plans, are you potentially looking at better digestion just on, on that consideration alone? And, you know, actually being hungrier and, you know, digesting your food better based on stuff that actually, you know, gets you more, I, I get you going. gets you ready to, to digest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just, a, just a quick one to kind of throw out there. But and it's important to understand because digestion begins in the brain. So again going through that process makes you understand that if you include foods that you enjoy and foods that you generally look forward to you're going to digest better because you're preparing you're already preparing now this is where we can talk about the i don't want to say it but i'm going to say it's the, uh, the almost no. essential side of things because <laughs> because preparing your food cooking your food smelling it touching it all those things all those senses okay it's more is is going to better prepare you for to digest that food because your brain's already getting you ready for it. It's it, it, it's expecting it to come. You're setting yourself up to digest that food so much better. I've Go got a it. quick one to add into there. Quickly going back to then the idea of kind of rushing your food and the and the chewing thing. Obviously, you know that that kind of looks at kind of the mindfulness side of side of things as well, and kind of the idea that you know digestion starts in the brain. But then also quickly linking back to that whole rushing food thing, then also consider the impact, as you were saying about the senses and stuff, you know, the longer you're chewing your food, the longer your food's in your mouth and you're actually, you know, taking note of the flavors and stuff and, and all that. So again, consider then how that potentially, you know, creates signaling for, you know, for you to be more ready for digestion. And then obviously, yeah. you know, with the, has combined with sort of the mechanical breakdown of food with chewing and stuff. Think about how much better your digestion is going to be just with these little kind of quick tips. That we're yeah, because you, you, you have obviously um, downstream signaling from the mouth yeah. to even as far as the um, intestines. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. obviously, you, you know, you kind of touched on there, you have mechanical breakdown of food, but you also have chemical breakdown of food. The chemical breakdown is more so out of your control. And so um, that's why, again, Number one, make sure you chew your food properly, takes less pressure off this off your digestive system as a whole. But also again, the longer that stays in your mouth, the more prepared for digestion you are. Again, this, you know, eating food you enjoy, being in the moment, being present, viewing food as an experience, the better chemical breakdown of food you're gonna have as well. So well, you know, funnily enough, what were you saying about like the, the chemical breakdown being a little more out of your control, like yeah, but then also you remember, like if we are being more mindful and you know preparing ourselves for digestion, then we are also looking at you know actually salivating a bit more and stuff like that, and therefore yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know consider that you know the implications like the you know enzymes in our saliva and, and stuff like that. Then you know there, there are ways which we can certainly influence the, the chemical breakdown of food. And you know, fun, funnily enough, was it you Ben that during prep was watching like burger eating competitions and stuff while you were eating? Like... I know. So because obviously again through through when you get that low body fat and you get high food focus, so everyone does this. I'm not a freak. Okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, I was just, I was just, it was just coming off the top of my mind because I thought, like, I wonder if something like that could be, you know, it could sort of benefit maybe like watching, watching a video of like a burger being cooked nice and juicy or something. Maybe, maybe that could, I don't know, if psychologically, perhaps that could have some sort of impact on, on sign signaling or something, maybe. Potentially, but I wouldn't recommend it because, yeah, no, that, yeah, not, not, not a good out. idea. That's just, that's just a, a side note that kind of I got started on. So, yeah. Um, so obviously, again, so we've talked about being very present in the moment, being mindful and viewing food almost as an experience, because again, how that affects your actual digestion and this chemical breakdown. Uh, we've also talked about the mechanical breakdown. So 
Again, it's really important to understand that a mechanical breakdown first in chewing your food essentially is really, really important because again, you get, once it gets to the stomach, these things become again, less in your control. It becomes more automatic. So again, the next thing we can kind of look at is making sure you have enough stomach acid. And again, this is kind of is lifestyle related because, you know, if you're someone who has something like, um, if you use uh, something from heartburn often and you take a lot of antacids, that's going to bring actually cause you to have low stomach acid, which by the way, in the long term is going to make the problem worse because yeah, yeah. heartburn's actually not that well understood again. But if, as far as we're aware, what causes heartburn is actually a lack of stomach acid. So if you're temporarily bringing it down, uh, because basically there's like this in, in your stomach, there's like this, this valve that cuts off stomach acid from, from you know, obviously come back up and burning your throat. But when it senses it's low, that valve is essentially open and that's when, you know, in, get up essentially. It's kind of how it works. Mm-hmm. So by using an acid, you're bringing stomach levels, uh, acid, uh, stomach acid levels down. And over time, that's actually going to make things like heartburn worse. But it's also going to make digestion worse as well. And what's really key there is that you have um, something like for enough stomach acid to be present, you need to have sufficient levels of zinc. Now, why that's really important is because, and it is, it's almost like a vicious cycle. If you don't have enough stomach acid, you're going to have a hard time actually breaking down the zinc that you need. So you can kind of see how that's a vicious cycle in the first place. Mm-hmm. And again, that can all start from lifestyle factors such as, you know, chewing your food, um, the potential medication that you take, um, maybe even arguably and again this is very nuanced and starting to drift away a little bit but even arguably the macronutrient breakdown of your food because something like protein is going to increase stomach acid so again this is like not necessary for most people but if you really really want to be nuanced and really want to get that one percent from your digestion then maybe it would be a good idea in your meal to eat your protein source first because that's going to upregulate stomach acid and therefore you're going to digest the rest of your food better. Again, that's just like, do do you really want to live like that? Probably not. So, you know, you don't have to do that. It's worth mentioning in case you want to, in case you want to do that. Um, Yeah. um, And so again, the different degrees in which you chew food, I guess we're getting onto this now is going to be affected by also is going to be affected by the macronutrients within your, um, within your, within your meal, because again, something like protein isn't, is, is going to be more heavily reliant on a mechanical breakdown mm-hmm. where something like your carbs are going to be yeah. still very much reliant on the mechanical breakdown, but more so on your chemical breakdown as well, because yeah. that starts in the mouth. Again, you've probably heard before, but your saliva contains, um, uh, um, what's the word uh uh digestive enzymes for the carbohydrates called it's called amylase so it's again that does break down the mouth chemically uh and then but obviously something like protein and your fat doesn't so although as uh, just a a quick a quick a little cool fact for people on that note is uh, our mouth do actually contain a a lingual lipase um but uh, you also brought up a cool point that that doesn't actually like get activated until further down it doesn't get um, so, yeah, it doesn't doesn't get activated, so to speak, until the stomach. So yeah. yes, there is some lipase in the in the um saliva, but it doesn't get activated till the stomach. So it's almost not I guess it's kind of irrelevant in a sense. Um but um yeah, so again, understanding there is different mechanical chewing required for different macronutrients is again kind of important, uh, just so Again, you're not you, so like you know because most people you're going to take a pretty pretty mixed mouthful, and you might be able to feel in your mouth even without realizing it that the carbs are starting to break down, but your protein hasn't yet. So again, this is why just making sure you chew your food until it's a semi liquid is really really important, um, because again you just want to make sure that everything is mechanically broke down well before it goes downstream. Again, all that's going to do is relieve this pressure off the rest of your system, and again that's going to have some real benefits. You know what's a very typical um, what's a very typical problem for especially seems to be a, a lot of females is bloating. Well, again, bloating would very much suggest that someone isn't chewing their food properly. So if you're someone that bloats a lot, 
that's probably probably yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Again, it's probably not. I mean, it could be, but it's not that likely that it is uh, some sort of intolerance or sensitivity to food. Because again, that's a very much a scapegoat for a lot of people. Is they love to say, well, it's probably just this food source. You should cut that out. Chances are you need to be more mindful. You need to eat in a non-stressed state. You need to just chew your food better. You do all those things, and then just about guarantee the problem will go away over time. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think that, that actually brings up a, a, a good kind of because uh, well, I think I think to be fair that that probably gets out kind of the, the main things a, a digestion. I think in terms of kind of li- lifestyle and stuff, then I think the main thing to get across was the idea of kind of stress and chewing. Um, so would you agree that, that that's a, a pretty decent place to leave off the digestion side of things just because I'm aware we're running a bit? Yeah, I think so. we, there is there is definitely more to touch on, especially from a nutrition standpoint, especially if we then start to dive into the microbiome. But <laughs> let's not do that now. <laughs> the only thing I will say, the only thing I will say for the microbiome, and this does influence by by lifestyle, is that fundamentals actually, again, though just remember fundamentals yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, i'm not gonna say too much is that light exposure we know light exposure can have a beneficial effect on the microbiome and so can exercise so okay, both of them yeah. together again that's just no reason why they're important yeah, um sure. yeah just gonna plug okay. my mac in well i think uh, i think what, what's good to kind of quickly link off from there is i guess you know the idea of ho- hopefully this already kind of has you know given you ideas of you know, the, the effects on quality of life and energy and everything by getting these lifestyle factors in check. But I think the idea of kind of bloating and stuff is a good way to kind of, you know, lead on to that, which I guess is where we'll kind of wrap wrap this up. Um, but I think a, a good one to kind of just go straight off the bloating is a bit bit of a rant time, sorry. But the idea that it... it uh, I, I hate Instagram fitness, I really do. Um, but the, this idea of... Because again, like, you know, I appreciate body positivity and you know obviously as you mentioned something that tends to be kind of a a bit more common with with females I guess because maybe potentially a little more conscious of how they look is that idea of kind of bloating and stuff and what comes along with that is a lot of these videos saying like bloating is normal bloating is natural there's nothing wrong with you if you're if you're if you're bloating just accept it and love your body like no 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 bloating is bad biofeedback that is your body literally saying to you, something's wrong, I ain't happy. So for, for starters, that, that's just quite a, a quick rant that I need to, to get off my chest. Stop stop listening to, to that bollocks. Bloating is a form of biofeedback. That's literally your body telling you like how it's processing stuff and if it's happy. So no, bloating is, it, 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 you know, are, is your stomach going to fill up with food throughout the day? Yeah. Are you probably going to be a little flatter in the morning than, than when you go to sleep? Yeah. Is that influenced by things like carbohydrates and water retention and, and stuff? Yeah. But is it normal to, you know, be a, be inflated like a balloon a, a few hours after you eat? No, a hundred percent. No, stop thinking. No. Otherwise it's bad biofeedback. Yeah. It, that, that is an issue. Cause it, that does get pushed. It's like, Oh, well just it's, it's normal. It happens, accept it. Like, no, that, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, but Actually, that leads again, very nice segue into, you know, you talked about biofeedback there. So we can then look at, you know, other signs and symptoms of poor digestion. Um, stomach acid, like say, if you're experiencing heartburn often or um, acid reflux, then yeah, that's a good sign that you've got poor levels of stomach acid or low levels of stomach acid. Uh, like say, bloating, not a good sign. But here's a really, really easy one for everyone to track. And it's a really good sign and marker of where your health is at, actually. And that is looking at your bowel movements. Such a simple thing that everyone can track. So, um, you know, in terms of frequency and in terms of kind of the consistency, I guess. Yeah, it's it's pretty obvious that obviously if you've got very loose bowel movements or you're constipated, then that is, again, a good sign that, you know, something has gone wrong, that there is a problem there. Now, the easiest way to do it is you look at something called the Bristol stool chart and just refer to that, and then you'll know you know what's a good bowel movement and what's not. Won't go too um, it, it well, it's 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 not the the Bristol stool chart is very very simple. That's yeah, what's yeah, yeah. But incredible. I mean, ju- just kind of put that out there for people to investigate, just because again we're kind of running quite quite a quite <laughs> yeah. low on time. So I think uh, I think the main thing I wanted to get across from that is you know, when, when, you know, consider how much better you'll actually feel controlling things like your digestion and bloating, controlling your sleep, think about, you know, how, how that is going to have such a, a positive effect on your energy, on your mood, on, 
on everything on your quality of life as a whole which is you know ben what you were saying kind of towards the start of this video i think that's just kind of a, a good place to kind of wrap up and the idea of kind of you know without going too in depth on like you know different types of biofeedback and stuff the idea that you know you, you'll be able to see these things in things like you know bloating bowel movements and stuff you'll be able to you know get feedback from your body and you know feedback which is certainly going to you know feel a lot better and you know again looking at the quality of life side of things um so yeah i don't know if there's anything you want to kind of add to the whole sort of life and uh, quality of life and uh, energy and it you know the, the the benefits of kind of looking at this stuff and how that impacts other stuff and then we can probably wrap up from there yeah so obviously you know if you've got better sleep if you're digesting food better if you've got better your stress under control quality of life and energy is going to go up if you've got better energy levels you're going to perform better day-to-day -day life is going to be easier and just feel better you're going to be happier which is really key um because again as, as my two fundamentals you've got health and you've got happiness they're the fundamentals if you can get good energy and good quality of life you're going to increase your happiness um if your happiness is high then you know you're going to be more satisfied in life life is going to be better um you'll find that actually you have better relationship with yourself with other people with food you'll have better better body satisfaction um again if we look then how that can affect things like the actual dieting as well you'll be more likely to succeed um Obviously, quality of life is important because, well, you know, isn't that what we're, essentially what we're doing this all for, anyways, to improve quality of life? Like, yeah. what, what realistically, what is, what else is the point? You know, quality of life also does include longevity as well. So, you know, um, obviously that's incredibly important. Um, so, again, you know, um, like I say, if if energy is high, then performance is going to go up as well. If performance is going up, then results are going to go up. Again, you know is not another main reason why we do all this thing like we're doing all this is to get good results like obviously again that's something that a lot of people want so if energy levels are nice and high that's exactly what we want um do i have anything else to add i, I don't know I, I think it's i think it's pretty self-explanatory that you know that yeah that is the end goal is to improve quality of life and so by doing all these simple lifestyle habits that's what you're going to achieve and it, it's as simple as that really yeah yeah definitely well i think i think we've certainly covered a lot today and hopefully given people a lot in terms of what they can apply to their life and you know improve that the these habits and lifestyle to you know make better progress you know just be better in general um so i guess it's kind of a final kind of final word um this has obviously been very kind of health focused in some regards so just quick disclaimer I'm not a medical professional. Ben is not yet a medical professional. <laughs> um, so just take all this as advice. We're, we're, we're not doing this to kind of fix anything that's wrong with you. Go see your doctor. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope that this has kind of given you some advice <laughs> that you can implement into your life. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, make sure to, to like and subscribe. And I guess that wraps up the fundamentals of lifestyle. Yeah. Go out and live your life and just bloody enjoy it, will you? Just awesome. enjoy it. Yeah, nice. Thank you for watching, guys, and we'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one.